Hey there. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast. Welcome back. This is the Lottery Podcast on Blue Wire Network. I'm John Wasserman, lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report. This week's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. We're going to continue with this team-themed episode series. So far, we've been on the Knicks, the Hawks, the Wizards. Today, it's all about the Detroit Pistons, so it made sense to send an invite to Pistons beat writer for the Detroit News, Rod Beard. Rod, what's up, man? Um, I know the Pistons made some headlines this week. It must feel good to have something to talk about. Yeah, it was just weird. We were in this cocoon, and it looked like it might be until December before we have anything substantive to talk about. But the general manager search starts all that over, and there's actually something that people care about. Yeah, so they bring in Troy Weaver. Um, listen, some of the, the guys around the NBA who are not GMs, you know, like uh, the assistant GMs and all that, they're not really in the public eye much. But he has a, a tremendous reputation from anybody you ask uh, for his ability to spot talent. And he's been with... Oklahoma City for what maybe 10 years I think 12 yeah 10 12 years yeah 10 12 years right and and of course Sam Presti is the guy who everybody knows but of course Presti is just the one who hits the button at the end of the day he listens to a lot of the people surrounding him was was Troy their number one target yeah I think he was and and they went after him actually a couple of years ago when they hired his current front office Uh, they were looking for him to fill that GM role and they had gone for two years without a GM Ed Stefanski was, in fact, the special advisor to the team owner, but he had employed both of those roles as both the the de facto team president and the general manager. This is just good timing for the Pistons that Weaver can step in and be the day-to-day guy to handle all of that because they're in a a perfect spot with a, a potential top five draft pick with a lot of salary cap space and with some young guys that they've got to make decisions on and see whether they're going to be foundations for the future. Yeah, was it always known that Stefanski was going to be kind of interim? Yeah, they, that was interesting this week in the introductory call for Weaver. As they said, that was kind of the plan. Uh, and initially, two years ago, they just kind of said, well, yeah, we're not giving him a title of, of GM or president or anything else. He's just kind of there. And I think they were waiting to see when Weaver might become available because he's just been that number one target for them because of that talent identification, but also just the what he's seen in the OKC front office that people will talk about him drafting Russell Westbrook or James Harden and identifying those guys as, as can't miss guys. But it's the other stuff that you keep that team relevant, that you can trade for Paul George. And, and that was a risky trade at the time that you're giving up Demonis Sabonis and Vic Oladipo in order to get Paul George. But they felt like that was the direction. When that didn't work, they move in a different direction. They trade Russell Westbrook as well. And now they're still in fifth place in the West. So it it shows that they're not afraid to make moves when they need to be done. And even in the, the situation that they're in now, they have a boatload of first-round draft picks for the next couple of years. So it shows you that even in all of that, you can reposition yourself really quickly for the future with draft picks and with some young guys. Yeah, um, and somebody I saw him quoted the other day, we don't draft players, we draft people. We want to make sure we get the right person. Uh, and he also seems like a guy who everybody just likes. I think that's pretty important. Um, that the players have respect for the guy who's who's calling the shots. So he's he's got this big draft coming up um, in front of him with Pistons projected to 
pick top five, and of course maybe they get lucky and, and pick a top of the draft. But before we get to the draft, um, because that's going to be his main focus, I'm sure, right away, and I know it's really tough to assess what, what he's thinking he just got here, but just from somebody who's been around the team and you know the roster, you know, what are some of the other things that he could do with, with the pieces that they've got? What are some of the big decisions that he has to make and, and some of the ways that maybe he can really restore some credibility to the, to the team? Well, I think the first thing he's going to look at is the Blake Griffin contract. And Griffin is owed $75 million over the next two years. The second year of that is a player option for $39 million, But, I mean, everybody knows that's just going to be one that he's going to take. Um, but I think he's got to assess that situation with Griffin's injury history uh, and, and looking at how big that contract is remaining. What I was interested in, and I went and looked at, is why did he deal Westbrook? Why did he deal Paul George? And, and how was he able to figure out those deals? That's going to be what's critical. If he can figure out some kind of way to spin off this, this Griffin contract and not have to give up a first-round pick or not have to give up a significant asset, then that would be, I mean, he'd, he'd curry a lot of favor automatically with that because that the, the Griffin contract is the only real big contract that's on the books right now. They got off of the Andre Drummond contract with the trade and the, the Reggie Jackson one. Uh, his contract was ending, so they don't have a real long-term contract that's really hurting him this, the way that the Griffin is with his injury history. So I think that's the first thing that you look at, and then you start looking at some of the younger guys and seeing um, what the fits are, which ones are going to work with others. And I compared it to going through laundry. You're going to find some socks that match other ones, and you're going to find some other ones that are just kind of these loners. And, and what do you do with those? And that's his job over the next couple of months. Yeah, the Blake Griffin thing is, is so interesting. I mean, the, the fact that you're talking about, like, you may have to use a first-round pick to get his contract off the books. I mean, it's still hard to imagine that he's gone from asset to somebody who people don't want on their team. So, like, what's his? what do you think his value is around the league? Do you think that he's at a point now where he really has to play well when he comes back to for teams to even show any type of interest? I mean, again, it's just hard to imagine, and maybe that's just the reality that – um, you have to give something else for somebody to even take him back. Yeah, and it's going to take a sweetener like that until he can show that he's healthy and that he's playing at the same level that he was. And again, it's the short time span that when he finished the 2018-19 season, he was an All-NBA guy. He was 13 All-NBA and playing some of the best ball of his career because he had turned into this point power forward that handled the ball so much his usage rate was through the roof. And so that may have contributed to that injury. So last year he only played in 18 games. So you, you start to see the diminishing returns on that big contract that he got. And if he's not able to play, he's just not of very much use to anybody. So it's going to take a team that feels like they're really, really close and they just need a power forward type guy with Griffin's skill set that they'd want to take on the remainder of that contract. And maybe it's, it's at the trade deadline this year. Maybe it's at the last year of that contract where he's going to opt in or maybe he renegotiates that somehow who knows but I, I think it's one of the most interesting decisions he's got to make is whether you choose in this rebuild to work around Griffin and then Derek Rose you can add to that same conversation he's only he's in his last year of his contract now what do you do with those two best players and he did um, point them out by name is is this that's what he noticed about the roster is that you've got two former all-stars who are playing really who were playing really well the last time that they played what do you do with those guys with their injury history right so i'm gonna imagine griffin starts the year on the team and i actually think you know given that the main priority really is going to be this draft pick i think griffin's going to be able to help whoever they take 
uh, just as a, a locker room guy, a, a leader, and, and also just a, to have talent. Because I think some of these young guys come into the league, they go to a roster with no talent, and, and you know, it kind of sets them up for inefficiency and, and bad habits and whatever. So um, it'll be really interesting to see uh, how well he plays, how long he stays, and, and really what Weaver's kind of mindset is in terms of what's his plan with him. Do we try and get rid of him, or do we try and keep him a part of the team. Now, the other big decision, of course, is Christian Wood, right? Is, is, is he a guy that um, you'd imagine that they'd try and bring back? I, I would think so, because that, that seems to be a slam dunk that you would go ahead and do it. Wood was the last player to make the roster uh, coming out of camp last year, because they were looking at Joe Johnson as well. And, and Wood turned into one of their best players toward the end of the year. His last Four games, I think he set a career high in three of those last. I think it was 28, 30, and 32 points or something like that. So what his contract could look like is somewhere around the mid-level exception because there aren't a lot of teams that have room. So if you peg that somewhere around $10.5 million, that gives you an idea of what it's going to take. The Pistons have somewhere in the neighborhood of $30 million of space available. So they could wait, they could sign him into room, or they could... Um, Wait and use his early bird rights. There are a lot of different options there, but I would imagine that's just a very easy. There are only a handful of teams that can even make a bid above the mid-level exception, and anything that's there, they would be able to match that, whether they're using room or whether they use the bird rights. Right. So I'm in New York, so I, I'm constantly hearing chatter about the you know the Knicks on should they make an offer to Christian Wood, and and uh, I hear both sides of the argument. Um, and Wood to me. If, funny coming out of college I really liked him I graded him as a first round pick and when he didn't get picked I like felt bad that I gave this um, I, I kind of overhyped him for no reason and then finally after years he makes it to the league and I think we're still trying to assess his value what are the reasons why maybe Detroit shouldn't overpay like what were the big question marks with Wood I mean I know he, he started to come alive at the end but if there was somebody on the other side of your shoulder saying he's not going to be worth overpaying for what would be that reason that it's only been a year. There have only been these flashes. And even this year, it was only after Andre Drummond got traded at the deadline that Christian Wood started to get consistent playing time and um, started to show what he can do. And then even still, are these numbers real? It's, it's on a team that isn't vying for the playoffs and the other teams are, are sort of, um, sometimes they're playing their second unit guys against them. Is it really real? Do you, mm -hmm. do you want a larger sample size to judge from? I think is the way that you balance that argument is, can he prove this? Can he, is this a flash in the pan? And then also his work ethic and, and what he does in the practice gym. That's always been the big question mark about Christian Wood's career is, uh, does he work enough? Does he do all the things off the court that he needs to do to be the best player that he can? And uh, this year, uh, he's just been a model citizen. I think people have said he missed one practice or he's late to one practice and that was all. And that's just been the, the biggest question mark and the biggest knock. So in a contract year, obviously you want to put your best foot forward and, and show your best self. And he absolutely did that on and off the court this year. Right, I think during interviews during the draft process, uh, things did not go well for him. And I think that may have contributed to him um, slipping outside. Um, and so now we're, we're heading to the draft. This is a, a huge draft for Detroit. They've kind of missed on some picks in, in, in the past, and you know you find out you just can't afford to do that um, for a team that may have a tough time signing big free agents summer after summer. So let's say that Detroit gets lucky. They win the lottery. Is there an obvious guy who people around the organization, who even maybe the fan base or, or players um, would see as a favorite? 
Yeah, I, I like Anthony Edwards um, just for his scoring ability, but the, the problem is a lot of their younger guys are in that wing position, shooting guard and small forward, your Luke Kennard, your Svima Hiluks. Um, people have said LaMelo Ball. I, he's just not at the top of my list. I, I don't trust his shooting. Um, and his ball distribution, everything like that is, is at 6'8", you, you want a big point guard like that. And Dwayne Casey likes big point guards like that. I'm more of a, if they fall down a little bit, they can get a Tyrese Halliburton. If they're up in that two, three, four range, then you look at Edwards or, or if ball is there, then I, I guess you got to take them. But, um, if that's what the scouting departments are for and they have to figure those things out. But I like those two guys, especially, uh, at point guard and I'd steer away from the bigger men because again, a James Wiseman, if you just didn't want to deal with Andre Drummond, why would you start all over with James Wiseman as a draft pick this year? Um, Obi Toppin probably plays the same position as Christian Wood and Blake Griffin. So again, you're you're loading yourself at a position like the Knicks did where you, you just don't need that many guys who are going to be able to do it. Yeah, so you kind of you know, segued into my next question. So guys like Wiseman and Toppin, I mean, they just went through Drummond. And to me, Wiseman, of course, there are some differences, but he's almost like the same exact type of guy where he's all physical tools and athleticism and, and limited skill. Uh, but at the end of the day, right, doesn't Detroit just have – the roster is such a blank canvas. Don't they just have to kind of think about taking the best player available and then figuring out how it's going to fit later? Yeah, I, I think that's the, the tack they're going to take is just to say, hey, if we end up at three, we end up at three, and, and um, whoever's there. But again, I, I, it, this draft, more than any other, it's going to depend what those first couple of picks look like because Golden State's going to – uh, determine if the Gold State ends up at that one or two spot, they're going to make a completely different pick. They don't need a point guard. They don't necessarily need a shooting guard. So they may go Wiseman. They can go uh, in a different direction than a lot of other teams. But that could change the board significantly. So I think just the way that the lottery plays out whenever it does is going to dictate how a lot of these teams position themselves. But in the Pistons case, you're right. It's just going to be best guy available unless you can get a point guard. If, if you have that opportunity for a point guard, I think you at least take a hard look at it. Right. All right. So here's my case for LaMelo. And I, and I don't know if you've read anything I've written, but I actually like LaMelo for Detroit. And I, and I don't like LaMelo for every team. Like some of the, some of the weaker teams, um, I, I, I prefer he goes to a team that can really surround him with some some veterans uh, take some pressure off him. I just watched him in Australia, and you know he was the only guy who can really create anything, and it led to a lot of bad shots uh, and a low field goal percentage. But with Kennard and Mikhail uh, Luke on the wings and some shooters and Blake in the two-man game, I just I, I see a decent fit there. Plus, he's going to have the ball in his hands, and I like Derrick Rose as a guy. Um, you know, he doesn't have to come in. Uh, Lamelo and, and you know pound the ball for 35 minutes and Rose is probably a good guy to just lead on. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on on anything I said in terms of like how he fits with the guys on the roster right now? Yeah, I think that's a good point that he can come in and just create where there might be some issue is that he might be a little bit too flashy and sometimes it's just get the job done get the ball to a guy in a position where he can do the work that he needs to do and again if we're talking about christian wood and, and blake griffin and derrick rose maybe playing with him and and luke canari you've got shooters you've got other people who can create shots for you you just have to to remain within yourself and be very disciplined and again that's sometimes been the knock on 
LaMelo Ball is that he doesn't do that all the time. He, he tries to play hero ball. But again, if you put him with people around him where he doesn't have to do that, we just haven't seen that very much, so we don't know how he reacts in that circumstance. Yeah, and, and I mean, what are your thoughts on Dwayne Casey being a coach for a guy like that? I think um, the little bit of hair that Dwayne Casey has um, would, would be in danger of falling out with LaMelo Ball. But <laughs> I, I think he would, he would help to rein some of that in because he's a guy that would um, – not just scream him, scream at him, not bench him, but really help him to try to understand the benefits of playing within yourself and not being so loosey goosey with the ball. And that's he. We've heard him so many times talk about with with Bruce Brown, who's been pressed into point guard duty, uh, and Reggie Jackson with with those guys and the turnovers that they sometimes had. If you just make the fundamental pass, we can get the, the more of the stuff done that we need to. Yeah, that that's I, I like I kind of like Casey as a coach uh, for someone like Lamelo. What about? Um, First off, Weaver, by the way, as a as a as a, not a GM, but a guy under a GM making shots, he's been pretty. I mean, the Thunder have done some pretty out of the box things with drafting Darius Baisley out of high school, Terrence Ferguson, who left high school and went overseas to play on Australia for a year, only averaged like five points. They still took him. They did that thing with Josh Hustis, um at draft in the first round, and then kind of convinced him to play for their D League team and. Um, and, and not sign his rookie contract. Of course, Westbrook at four was not really the consensus going in. That was kind of a more of a surprise. Um, uh, not a re- it seemed like a reach at the time, reaching on potential because he only averaged 12 points a sophomore. So he's pretty willing to go out of the box and, and, and take chances. What do you think about him? Or have you heard anything about him scouting internationally? Because there's going to be a lot of guys in the Pistons range um, from Denny Avdia from Israel, Killian Hayes, who I'm a big fan of. Um, the, the French point guard who played in Germany. Uh, do you know anything about or have any feel for if the Pistons would maybe shy away from an international guy or if they'd be just as willing to, to go after one? Yeah, I think they'd be just as willing as anyone else. And Killian Hayes is another point guard that's right in that range that if a Pistons stayed at five, that would be a guy that, that would be right there for them and that they would look at. Um, for that driving ability, for that. I think it's just, if you can find a combo guard, because again, if you're play, gonna play with Derrick Rose and you're gonna play with Luke Kennard, sometimes you need to step back and, and um, be the decoy for them. And if the, the shot is open, you've gotta be able to take that shot. So that's where I think LaMelo would fall into that trap. But a guy like Killian Hayes um, may just be able to fit there very nicely that he takes that shot, he hits that shot, and, and defense have, defenses have to figure out what they wanna do with that. Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of Hayes. I question whether he could play off the ball, but I think you're still thinking long-term with Hayes. He's going to be someone you give yep. the keys to. 18 years old, um, had some good experience this year uh, running his team, but I think they were 1-10, in 10 and uh, he's just not ready to efficiently run an NBA team. But down the road, I think he is a, a lead guard type of guy, and obviously Rose won't be there long-term. And then Halliburton is somebody who can – play off the ball. He actually ranked in the 99th percentile in spot-up situations. Very good catch-and-shooter. Um, and honestly, he's a pretty good fit next to Rose because the big question with Halliburton is can he beat anyone off the dribble uh, and put pressure on the rim? And that's kind of what Rose's specialty is. And uh, Halliburton also brings that really, really sound decision-making um, at, at really either guard spot. What are your thoughts on, on Halliburton as an option for them? At, at number five, which sounds maybe a little bit high, but really could be a, a nice um, – his strengths would really be, I think, valued by this particular roster. Right, and that's – I really like Halliburton. I really like his, his vision on the court and his ability to, do, to um, score and to distribute. But I think it's 
um, his size that I like. And the only question I have about him is, is does he like contact? Will he get in there and get grimy and get dirty and attack the rim and put pressure on the rim? Uh, that's the one thing that I, I see maybe as a, an area he needs to improve on. But with that size, with that mix of everything else, uh, and the shooting ability, especially from three-point range, I think that he, he has the best blend of all the skill sets that they might be looking for. Right. Halliburton averaged two free throw attempts in 37 minutes. Um, just not much of an athlete. And he doesn't have that pull-up game. But I, I think you have to say with Halliburton, he's not going to be a guy who's going to give you 20 points every night. He's going to be a, an impact, impact over stats guy. And also, if, if Weaver is somebody who has this reputation of really valuing character, I mean, I don't really think you can get a higher character player in this draft than Halliburton, who is just is going to crush every interview that he has. Um, kind of an opposite player from Halliburton is Cole Anthony. And Cole Anthony is a, a scoring point guard, more in the mold of, of Rose than anybody else. Um, but really, I think his question is, can he make guys around him better? Is he just going to be a, an empty stats guy? Um, Colin Sexton is a, is a name that comes up in terms of comparisons. But at the same time, I think Detroit kind of needs a guy who can generate his own offense, who can create his own shot, you know, put up 10 points uh, in, in six minutes, you know, when you need it. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Cole as a potential target at number five for Detroit, or really anywhere yeah. where they pick? Yeah, I, I think he'd be a, a little bit lower in that. And, and again, this is where Weaver's going to have to do his homework and say, here's the right fit, but what can we do? If, if they end up with, say, the, the fifth spot and they want to trade down and get Anthony, let's say they can get him at eight or nine. Can they get another asset? Can they, can they get somebody else's second-round pick or a late first-round pick or something else? Because you're going to need a lot of different pieces with this rebuild that they're doing. And one other interesting thing he said this week was that he looks at things as kind of every year is a one-year rebuild. So it's not this long-term plan that you've got, but you look at what you can do this year and you look at what you can do next year. And if you can kind of string those things together and get more um, value out of them, then maybe Anthony is a guy that you look at and say, well, hey, we can live with this. But they just came out of a, a scenario with Reggie Jackson, who was kind of a scoring point guard and didn't mm -hmm. distribute quite as much and pounded the ball a lot. So what's the ideal um, guy that you have and what are you looking for in a point guard? Is it a Halliburton? Is it a Hayes? Is it a, a Ball? I mean, you, that's where he's really going to make his money on this draft if he's going to make that pick and get it right, is what's that fit for the rest of the guys that are around him. Before we continue, I got to give a quick shout out to Bet Online. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and Bet Online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. The other way to kind of look at the draft is instead of say, okay, we're going to, instead of drafting a young point guard to a team that doesn't really have an established roster. There are a couple of wings, a couple of forwards. Uh, Denny Adia from Israel, who we kind of brought up before. Isaac Okoro, another just like really high character kid who plays winning basketball. Maybe not flashy upside, but somebody you could bank on pretty much being a cornerstone for a, a roster, you know, a, a, as a role player long term. Uh, do you think they're going to be more willing to kind of gamble on upside 
or are they just going to be happy to find like, you know, again, like he talks about the character, Okoro is just like a, a solid piece to Okoro, but not somebody you can really bank on to carry your offense. Yeah, I think it's going to be a mix of those things. I think it is, above all things, I think he just wants to find a high character guy who's going to be um, on the team. And when you look back at their past picks, like a Stanley Johnson or a Henry Ellenson, um, those are guys that just didn't pan out. You can't miss on your lottery picks like that for two out of the four years with Luke Kennard and, and um, Sekou Dumbuya. You've just got to make a solid pick of a guy who has that talent, but who also off the court, you don't have to worry about picking up the paper and seeing that they're in some kind of trouble or doing something. So I think there's there's an, a convergence of those two things and just looking at what can he give us. And again, for, for the Pistons and their roster structure right now, the wings are probably the least of their worries. They, I'd say point guard and center. For As it stands now for next year, they don't have a center under contract uh, on the roster. So they're gonna have to look at maybe James Wiseman because they just don't have any other options. And then when free agency rolls around, maybe they just fill in with some other things too. Sure. And last prospect we'll talk about, because you just mentioned that they really could use a center. Onyeko Okongwu, who I actually have ranked better than, than James Wiseman. Uh, and I know a lot of scouts who are just super high on Okongwu. I think uh, he's a guy who could probably play with, with Blake Griffin. Um, as Griffin's kind of drifted out, more a little bit of a perimeter guy. And, and Okongwu is just like a, a guy who feasts around the basket, but also brings you a lot of... Uh, defensive activity, a big-time shot blocker. Um, do you think Okongwu would be an option for them at number five, or you think they're going to be more focused on going for a guard? I think they can at least look at it. Um, and, and he jumps off the screen when you when you watch his highlights, too, just for that athleticism and that ability. Um, is, is he really a 6'9", or is it closer to like a 6'10"? And I think that's going to make a difference, is, is how much of that athleticism uh, can overcome some of the size issues that there might be because you, there just aren't a lot of six nine centers unless you're playing small. But in a starting lineup, you just won't see it very often. And Blake Griffin, with all the injuries and everything else, isn't going to move over and play center. As you said, he's going to jump out and be on the perimeter a little bit more on the offensive end. And then defensively, you are what you can guard, but, but Blake Griffin isn't going to uh, bump and grind with those big, heavy, lugging centers around the league so that's that's going to be a big question is what they do and whether they address that in free agency or whether they say a Kongu as an option there I like them I, I think if you um, don't have a better option at point guard that you just look at that and say hey here's the best that we can do and maybe we look at point guard in free agency because everybody knows a rookie point guard is going to take his lumps it's going to take a while for a, a lot of that stuff to sink in and the, the Pistons aren't looking to contend so they have nothing but time um, but this point guard crop and the, the, how deep it is in the draft this year, I think they really lean that way uh, and at least take a look at a couple of those options. Yeah, Okongu is number three on my board. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. And yeah, also, I think it's warranted. It's warranted because yeah. he, he, the talent is there. I talked to a scout yesterday who did not love Okongu as, as a top three guy, questioning, you know, is he outdated for today's league? You know, does he have really a path to superstardom without much of a post game? He hated the BAM out of biocomps. But, um, but listen, also another reason why, like you mentioned, is he 6'9", is he 6'10"? Teams are pushing to get some type of NBA combine in place, even if it's virtual, just to get some measurements to find out, is he 6'10"? Does he have the 7'3 wingspan? Um, and so, right, he's a guy who came out of high school, and, and there's never been really any official measurements uh, on Ukangu, and he hasn't really attended some of the major camps. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens the rest of the way during this pre-draft process now that there's like four months to go before the draft um 
let's shift gears a little bit because I want to talk about some of the Pistons' younger players and because it, really they're so important to the, the progress of this team. Um, and I think Luke Kennard will be the first guy I address. And I, I had I was just looking at my my board during his draft. It was 2017. He was number 14 on my board. That's like right around where he went. I think 12. And Kennard is uh, of course the injuries. You know that sucks. It's really tough to, to not be able to get rhythm and, and some continuity and consistency. But I mean he's doing what he did in college. Well, he's shooting the ball well. Um, kind of assess what you've seen from him since he's joined the team. I know he had his best year that was cut short, but give me your assessment on what he's done and where you think he can go from here. Well, he's been a better three-point shooter um, probably than I thought at 40% this year, and he was shooting six and a half a game. Um, that he can create also off the dribble maybe a little bit better than I thought, that he can he can get his shot when he needs to, but the injuries have just made everything, it, it, you wonder again, is it flash in a pan and is this something that's sustainable over time? Uh, he only played in 28 games this year and playing in that starting lineup, he got his shots, he got his opportunities and he made the most of it with uh, 16 points a game, but it, it's still, can we count on this guy to be healthy and to play more than 40, 50 games? We need him in the 60 plus game range for this to really be a long-term piece that's gonna be there. I think that's what the front office has to, to dig through and figure out. And even at the, the trade deadline last year, there were rumors that the, the Suns were looking at him. Um, and Jeff Bauer, who drafted him when Bauer was the GM here, um, is a guy that sees that upside that's there. But again, if you're the Pistons, you've got to figure out with guys like Kennard, because his, con his rookie contract is, is ending, you've got to figure out whether he's going to be a long term mm -hmm. and whether he's worth the big increase that you're going to give him in that contract. Yeah, this is a huge year uh, for his career and and for the Pistons to decide what, what to do with him. Uh, one of the reasons I really bought into Kennard actually is what you mentioned first, is that he can actually create a little bit. He was coming out of Duke. He was a good pick and roll player uh, in terms of as, as a passer. He had the pull-up game going. Of course, he's not so explosive. It doesn't really beat guys off the dribble, but put him in the ball screen situation. Um, he can make some, some things happen. Do you think if he does stay healthy, he's got the chance to be like a, a long-term starting two guard? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that that skill set is there and the size is there. Uh, and again, as long as you're playing pick and roll, and, and just about every team is going to be, then he has a, a, a spot where he can pull up on a dime and hit that uh, long two. He can do well from three, uh, and he just creates enough space to get that shot off. And he's a lefty, so that's always a plus. Yeah. All right, Siku Deboya. Um, uh, he was number 10 on my board last year, and I kind of went back and forth with him like every other month. He was the youngest player in the draft last year, so... It was tough to really expect anything. I really am surprised, you know, how many games he ended up playing in the NBA. I mean, obviously there was plenty of minutes to go around in Detroit. But was big time in the G League, and for a while it looked like, you know, he was he was feeling it. He he looked comfortable out there, and then of course he hit a wall. But again, he he doesn't turn 20, I think, until Christmas. Um, so give me your take on what you saw from Dumboya. You know, uh, of, of course he was inefficient shooting and all that. But any red flags, or was it overall a promising experience? I think it was promising, but you just wanted to see more consistency out of him uh, from game to game. And when he did get that one stretch of games, um, it, it wasn't against a, a bunch of stiffs. I mean, he came out and he played against um, Draymond Green and, and played well against LeBron, played well. Um, so, and Paul George, I think, was the other. I think the Clippers were on that trip, too. So it, he showed that he could do it against the better players, but it's just can you bring it on a night-to-night -night basis? And I think the uh, conditioning may have come into play at some point where uh, he had played night-to-night -night with the Tribe in the, the G League, 
But then when you're playing against all of these guys, and it's not just you've got to score against LeBron, now you've got to come out and, and guard him too. Uh, and your Kevin Loves and Tristan Thompsons, it's a night-to-night grind at that position in the league where you've got guys who are, are, are pounding the, the, the court and getting you in the paint. They can take you out on the perimeter. And he just didn't show it after those first couple of weeks that he was um, playing so well that you've just got to bring that and you've got to have the mental focus to do it on a day-to-day, night-to-night basis. And I think to some degree the culture shock may have gotten to him too that um, he did adjust and, and started making some friends and, and his English was um, was much better toward the end of the year. But I think in, in some of the practices and just focusing on what's going on, he may have gotten a little lost in that, in the way that things were explained and, and making sure that he could process it all. Right. He's one of the guys I never got a chance to speak to. So I, you kind of answered it right there. I was curious to see if, right, was this a culture shock thing? Or, you know, is he, is he just so young and to suddenly be thrown into an NBA rotation guarding, you know, NBA wings? It's got to be like a, a wild trans, transition from, from where he was playing in France to what he's seeing now. You think that's more to blame than anything in terms of, of talent? Or you think if Detroit had the chance to do it again, they'd pick somebody else? You no, know, I think they like him, but I, I, and especially at the position where they were, were, were selecting, that they wanted to get the best one was there, that was there. And you said you had him at, at 9 or 10 on your board. So they yeah. looked at the upside of that and said, we don't need a lot from him this year. Because, again, with, with – um, expecting Blake Griffin to be healthy and Andre Drummond, they thought they were going to have a solid rotation with Markeith Morris too. They didn't really need a lot from him this year um, with what they got in free agency and everything else. Yeah. All right, Bruce Brown. Um, Brown is a guy I also liked coming out of college. Uh, I think the one hesitation with Brown was you know, he checks a lot of boxes, but he doesn't really have one specialty skill to bank on. He, he can play a little point guard, but he's not really a point guard. Uh, he can score and, and attack, but he doesn't really have the jumper to go with it. He could get you steals, but is he really a, a good, consistent defender? Is this a guy that Detroit should think about banking on down the road? Um, I know he obviously, I guess he has a big year. This is an important year for him, right? Yeah, this is a, a big year for him. And um, still on that rookie deal, so... He's not making a ton of money, so you can still take a little bit more time to look at him, and it doesn't hurt you cap-wise. But he had a nice bounce-back year where there were so many questions about from the three-point line. He shot 26% his rookie year and bounced back with 34 this year. Um, so that answered a lot of those questions, and he put in a lot of work in the offseason. And that's one of his more redeeming qualities is that he's a gym rat. He's going to be in the gym. He's going to work. He's going to defend. And, and uh, we've written and talked so much about defensively what he did against the the Hardens, the Steph Currys, he didn't back down from any of those challenges in defending some of those guys. Um, but again, it's, it's offensively, he's got to be a threat on the floor also. You can't just leave him in a corner. And uh, that's where he made teams pay a little bit more this year was um, being able to, to get that shot to fall from three-point range. But I think he's, he's just a scrappy guy that's going to be rotational at worst but you can find a spot for him in your starting lineup in a rebuild. Once you start getting other pieces in place, then he may just have to come off the bench and play shorter minutes. But um, he can be a nice spark plug for you as a defensive guy uh, and as a guy who can hit that open shot. And that's all he really needs to be on this team. Yeah, I'm a, even with his flaws, I, was always a, I always saw him just finding a way to make it work and carving out really his own niche in the league. Yeah. Um, Svi Mikhailuk, uh, such an interesting guy you know, watching through four years at Kansas because he started at 17. And no matter what, every year we kept, he kept getting the pass. You know, he was like 20, he was a 20 year old senior, I think. Um, and so no matter what he did, there was always like, well, he's still got time. 
Um, and it took him a little bit in the NBA, but it looks like he got pretty comfortable last year. We always knew him for his shooting stroke, but I think the big change for him, at least at the end of Kansas when I watched him, he started to show a little bit more off the dribble, a little more creativity to his game. Was he able to show that at all this year? Yeah, a little bit. He had trouble finishing at the rim. But again, if mm-hmm. you're going to shoot 40% from three, then that, that covers up a lot of your pockmarks, of things you can't do. So it was just once he gets in the paint and people chase him off that three-point line, what does he do? Can he finish? Can he find the open cutter who's coming right, who's trailing right behind him? Can he uh, get the ball to the weak side? Those are the things that he's had to figure out. And it, with the Lakers, he just didn't have enough time to really show anything. But with the Pistons, uh, this year, 56 games, um, and again, shot 40% from three, and only 43% from two. So that tells you most of his offense has to be behind that line. And he's going to work off of your Griffins, work off of your Christian Woods, and be that, that safety valve that has to hit that open shot. Yeah, I think he's going to be pretty important, actually, uh, in Detroit this year, particularly if they draft a point guard like Killian Hayes and, and, and Lamelo, who struggle to shoot. They're going to need targets. And I think Sfi could be a pretty reliable one uh, from outside. So uh, interesting to see where his career goes. He's still so young. We continue to give him <laughs> that pass. Um, and then lastly, Thon Maker. So Thon Maker, um, as, a, as a draft guy, I, I like remembering Thon Maker since he's 15 years old. He's always been a hot topic um, in every grade and, and level he's been at. The narrative on him has sh- shifted like more times than you can believe. And I, I remember before the draft saying um, – Maker to me was, well, before I even get to that, you know, there used to always be the, the comparisons to like Kevin Durant because his highlight reel in high school was always a seven footer who can cross you up and, and hit a pull up jumper. But that was really never going to be his game in the NBA. And then we kind of said, he's got, for him to make it work in the NBA, he's just got to be a scrappy energizer. Um, and for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to really establish himself as a regular rotation guy. What did you see from him in Detroit? I, I think those were valid concerns, and that's the, the concern that I have about what his future in the league is going to be is he doesn't – he's not big enough to be really a center, and he's not a mm-hmm. power forward either, um, and he doesn't rebound well enough to be either of those positions. So if he's a seven-foot um, small forward, he's got to be able to guard that position – and just the, his gait and the way that he carries his, his, his body around doesn't allow him to get low enough to the ground to guard threes effectively because he, he, it always seems like somebody's driving past him and finishing at the rim over him because he's just not big enough and strong enough to keep you out of the paint. And especially on drives, if he's the weak side guy coming over, he might be a little bit more effective. But on the ball, he's just a liability defensively. But then on the offensive side, I mean, you, you can see that there's something there. He, the, when he's hitting his three-pointer, he's, he's drawing your defense out and making you pay that way. But I think defensively is just where there are too many um, issues that he's going to have with on the ball. He can get back down so easily. And as a help side guy, you're not really afraid that he's coming over to um, to lay the wood on you, he's just going to try to block your shot. And if you can get around that, then he hasn't provided really much resistance for you. Yeah, I mean, I remember when he, when he started with the Bucks and he got some playoff experience as a rookie, and we were kind of all like, wow, actually, this guy has the chance to be a pretty valuable, uh, versatile defender. And then over time, you'd imagine that his offensive game would start coming to life a little bit. And I guess it just hasn't happened. And, and uh, just, uh, again, having... Met him in high school. Everybody raves. He's a high character kid, a hard worker. It just hasn't really, just hasn't really translated. Doesn't really figured out, you know, how to, 
had a stick, right? Yeah, and there's no question about the high character guy. He's he's one of the nicest guys that you want to meet. But yeah. when, when you've got to be bigger and tougher when you're in the paint, especially on the defensive end, because those guys aren't aren't just letting you block their shot. They're going up and they're going over you. And when you think about highlights for Thon Maker, a lot of them are him running out of bounds and trying to catch a, a, a loose ball or diving on the ground. Um, but it's not him dunking over somebody or him blocking a dunk. It, it's just blocking a layup. So, I mean, that works in, in, in certain spaces, but it's not something that's going to be sustainable when he's got to play backup center for you. And I think that's what his his future might be, is just being somebody's backup center to um, eat up a couple of minutes, and he can be a, an energy guy for you on the second unit. But as a starter and a, a full-time guy who's going to play a lot of minutes, I think a lot of his liabilities get exposed. I know, you know, he went from star in high school to to being overrated, and then somehow um, goes ten overall, which shocked everybody. And then he was like, ex, you know, exciting playoff performer as a rookie, uh, and then his stock went down again. I mean, just a, a total roller coaster career so far, and interesting to see where it goes from here. Actually, one more guy I wanted to hit on because I, I just realized I, Kyrie Thomas. Kyrie, I don't know if Kyrie Thomas played that much in Detroit, but I, another guy I really liked out of Creighton. 3 and D, really efficient score inside the arc. I can't imagine he's played many minutes uh, in Detroit. Has he been? Has he shown any flashes? Just small flashes. And it seems like every time he's about to break through, um, it's just another injury. And it was a foot injury this year that limited him to, mm-hmm. to just eight games. And as much playing time as Bruce Brown has gotten, that all could have been Kyrie Thomas's, but he suffered an injury his rookie year. And so uh, Dwayne Casey talks about, hey, Kyrie was right there, and I was just ready to, to give him those minutes, and then he got hurt, so I had to use Bruce. And when Bruce took the minutes, he just took it and ran with it. So Thomas just needs to be healthy. And even when the, the season um, was suspended at the end of, or in the middle of March, he was just starting to get a couple of games under his belt where he could show a little bit of something. But so it's, it's, he's just snake bit. Every time something happens where he's able to start playing, there's an injury, there's something freakish that happens that he just doesn't. He can't do it for a sustained period of time. But um, I think he's a guy who, who can be that, and he's not guaranteed for next year. So it, it's really up in the air whether the Pistons want to give him a, a longer look. I would think that they would, would be inclined to because it's a non-guaranteed deal and still a, a second-round rookie minimum. Yeah, that's too bad. I think if he, I think he was the biggest defensive player of the year maybe twice. Yeah, twice. twice. Was, yeah, yeah he, was, uh, he, he was a good player and very efficient too inside and behind the arc. So uh, another Detroit has a lot of interesting young guys who just haven't gotten there, and, and it'll be interesting to see how Weaver uh, assesses them and, and um, you know what moves he makes from here. Rod Beard, uh, this is great. A lot of good insight. Anything you want to plug before I let you go? No, no, no. It's great work that you do, too. And, and just looking at the draft coming up, it, it's going to be really interesting, and, and that's what Troy Weaver's here to do is uh, the draft first, I think free agency second, and then to assess these young guys and the rest of the roster. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks a lot to Rod. um, and, And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week.